The following message is a presentation from Grace Baptist Church in Kettering, Ohio. Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 1. And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest, and art dead. Be watchful, and strengthen the things which remain, that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received, and heard, and hold fast, and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Let's read this last together. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Let's pray. And Brother Wayne, would you lift your voice and just ask God's blessing in our, in our time in the Word. Amen. And let's be seated. Thank you for standing. I... um. I had a grandmother that lived in Milwaukee, the Milwaukee area, and a grandmother that lived in the Illinois, Chicago area. And uh, my grandmother, both of them uh, have passed on. And uh, in, in my sophomore year of college, I was able to live with my grandma because it was near the college. I was able to live with her for a while and experience life with grandma. Uh, for a long time, she was nocturnal. She went to sleep at night. Or she, yeah, she went to sleep during the daytime. She was up all night, and that's the way she did things. She shopped at night. That's the way she did things. But uh, she was just that way. But I, I, there was a very, a very big and stark difference between my grandma that lived in uh, the Chicago, Illinois area. She was very well to do. Uh, her and her husband had owned a steel company, and right there at the uh, Highway 30 and I-65. I always used to pass those buildings, and my grandpa put the, the steel up for those, those uh, you know, tower buildings, the twin tower buildings that have been torn down now, but uh, they owned a steel company, and they were very, very well-to-do, and their house kind of matched that. It was always a special privilege to go to grandma's house in Illinois, though we kind of went there kind of, uh, you know, under, you know, strict orders from our parents. You go there, and you just mind all of your manners. If she puts something in front of you, Food-wise, even if you don't like it, you eat it. She did not like out-of-line children and, it, you know, everything we had in mind. But as I got older, I gained a better and better relationship with her and uh, tried to teach her uh, computers and all that type of stuff. She'd say, Joe, you come and you, you spend an afternoon with me and just try to teach me this stuff, which was, which was a blast, right? It was, it was a lot of fun trying to teach her. But, you know, it was, it was something. When we go to her house, there was something special about it. You know, there was, there was, there was grandma was there, and we'd sit and visit, and it was a special place. She tried to do some things uh, special with her grandchildren. She was, a, she was a sweet person. I remember, I'll never forget, driving down Highway 70 um, as she was getting near to death with my wife at that point and hoping that we'd make it to Illinois in time before she passed on. 
And uh, we didn't, but we got there, and I'll tell you, we, we arrived at her house and, uh, and, and stayed there that, that night, and something was distinctly different about the house. It was empty. Uh, it was, in a sense, very lifeless. Grandma wasn't there. Her, her, her formal, um, eloquent, and uh, style, I mean, she was, she was a dignified lady. It, it wasn't there. It was just, it was us. We were kind of camped out in what belonged to her, but it, she wasn't there. And it, it just kind of left a, a, a weird and unique feeling. And again, experienced that when we went back and stayed there for the funeral. You, you, you kind of... Uh, it, it kind of leaves you with a weird feeling. And uh, maybe you've experienced that with a family member going to a house where a loved one used to live and used to add so much life into that place, and yet they're gone. And now it's not the same anymore. I can remember that. And I think tonight as we look at the church of Sardis, in a lot of ways, that's the church of Sardis. It, it's a church that, that existed... The structure was there, the formality was there, the routines were there, but something was missing. Like it wasn't, it wasn't alive, it wasn't bursting with life. There, there wasn't that, that sense that, boy, we've come here and, and this is life-giving, this is edifying, this is encouraging. Our, uh, Sardis was an interesting church in that sense that they had become very lifeless. They, it was in this town, Sardis, that was the capital of Lydia, it was an important city. It was about 50 miles east of Ephesus. It was at the junction of five main roads, so there was a lot of trade that happened there, though, uh, though it doesn't seem that there was much interaction between the church and the city, but there was a lot of trade that happened there. It was also a military city. Uh, the Acropolis of Sardis was 1,500 feet above the main roads, so it had kind of a uh, a, a really an amazing fortress that was, was impregnable uh, to, uh, to encroaching enemies. It was, it was an amazing place in that, in that way. Uh, the main religion of Sardis was the worship of Artemis, not, not so much the emperor worship as we've seen in others of the cities, but the, the worship of Artemis, one of the nature cults, one of the cults that focused in on, on the nature and the worship of it, but it was built on the idea of death and rebirth. Doesn't that sound like uh, something in our world today uh, of, of reincarnation and, and so on? So it was built on that, uh, that concept. But what's interesting about Sardis in this letter from Christ to them was that it didn't note really the pagan opposition that was in that city against the church. It really didn't note any heretical or or. Uh, a, a spirit of, of lawlessness within the church that threatened the church. In reality, what the church suffered from was a, a spiritual, you could say, a spiritual deadness or a spiritual lifelessness, a spiritual emptiness. The formalities were there. The, the structure was there. But it was empty. It's like going into grandma's house and she's not there. This is gone. What, what's wrong with this picture? This, is, uh, this, this gathering, the assembly of the saints, was to, to be a, a picture of the, the body of Christ, and it, it wasn't there. It did not present to the world the, the life that Christ truly is. It was dead. Even as a couple months ago, Brother Morris read this particular passage of Scripture, it struck me and uh, him that night 
in verse number one that thou hast a name that thou livest and are dead. I mean, what an interesting statement. Now, we must remember this is Jesus Christ who is talking here. He's the one that sees all and knows all, and he speaks to this church as one that was empty and lifeless and dry-rotted and full of deadness. They had a name that they were alive, but they weren't alive. And as we've noticed every time, Jesus presents himself and portrays himself to these churches according to what they need from him. And it's the same in our own, in our own day. Jesus is to us what we, what we need in the sense that oh, where I need to be right or where I need to grow, Jesus presents himself as the answer to that. Jesus is the answer to every problem we have, right? He is. And so again, he, he presents himself to this church as the answer to their problem. Notice the possession of Christ here tonight. It says, and unto the angel of the church of Sardis write. Now notice what he says. These things saith he, the Son of God, as we learned last time, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the creator of all things, these things saith he that hath, that hath. He presents himself to this church as the one who possesses some things that were necessary for the church to have. These things that were, were necessary for the church to understand. If I were to say tonight, would the one who owns a white or the one who has a white Toyota raise their hand? <laughs> and there's a classic elbow for you there, Brother Isaac. I was hoping I, 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 was hoping I had the make of the car right. But, you know, the fact is, he, he has, he owns that. And even tonight, if he wanted to will that to, to someone else, if he wanted to give that to Brother um, Brandon, he would have the, the right to, to do that. He's the one who has it. Jesus is the one who has these things and he possesses them. They are his to impart. As the possessor, he has the authority to impart it and also to delegate it. He has the authority to say, this is what you need. This is, this is what I have and this is what you need. So notice, he is the one who has this. What does he have? He has the seven spirits of God. Now that's, a, that's an awe-inspiring thing to possess. The seven spirits of God. I want us to know that Jesus Christ tonight has and possesses the fullness of the Spirit that each one of us need. Uh, he has the fullness of the Spirit that gives life and, 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 and everything that we need for ministry and for doing the will of God. He possesses it all, and all that we need, Jesus has. Tonight, he says that he has the seven spirits of God. In Scripture, the, the, the number seven is one of perfection or of completeness. He has the seven spirits of God. He has all the Holy Spirit that we need, and so we say the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Notice John 6.63. Write this verse down. John 6.63. It is a spirit that quickeneth. It is a spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. Do you believe that tonight? The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. You know that God, Jesus Christ, has the Spirit of God. He has the fullness of the Spirit that gives life into our lives, the life that we need, the answer to spiritual deadness that they would need if they were going to be revived. Jesus Christ possesses this. The work of the Spirit of Christ is to bring the fullness of the life of Christ into our lives. Well, I need Jesus Christ in my life. Um, and I need His Spirit. I remember, and I've told you this before, and I would encourage you to, to look up this book on Brother Don Sisk. 
Uh, some of you remember him. He used to be the director of BIMI, Baptist International, uh, uh, International Missions. And uh, I remember being very intrigued in that book when he got to a point in his ministry where he realized the necessity of the Holy Spirit of God. And he began to talk about the fullness of the Spirit, not in a spooky way and not in a mystical way and not in a, in a charismatic way, but simply being completely given over to the Holy Spirit. How many of you believe tonight that when you get saved, you get all of the Holy Spirit? Do you understand tonight that the Holy Spirit doesn't necessarily get all of us? And the fullness of the Spirit is me saying, I, 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 I am giving and surrendering myself completely to you. Jesus possesses the ability to impart the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I need that every day. Whether oh, I am in gospel ministry or just simply interacting with my family, I need the fullness of the Spirit, and so don't you. Jesus is the one who has the seven spirits of God. When the Holy Spirit is grieved and quenched, deadness sets in, does it not? Do you know what it is in your life to grieve the Holy Spirit and to sense immediately a deadness or a distance in your relationship with God? Isn't that an awful feeling? It's like, Lord, I want, I want that freshness back. And Jesus possesses that tonight. I'm thankful that I have a Savior who possesses the ability to, give, uh, to grant me, to allow me the experience of the Holy Spirit of God, the fullness of the Spirit as I depend on Him. And He has that. He has it all. Everything we need is found in Jesus Christ. Jesus possesses the fullness of the Spirit and is able to make that my reality too. May we seek that. The Bible says in Ephesians 5 and verse 18, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. What is the idea of that? To be full up with the Holy Spirit, to be completely full with the Holy Spirit, to have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. As I seek the Lord, as I seek this from the Lord Jesus Christ, he has the ability to grant that to me. Even before he left, what did he tell his disciples? Hey, I'm leaving and it's expedient for me to go. If I don't go away, uh, you aren't going to have the promise of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in John 16, um, 13, Howbeit when he, Jesus saying, uh, speaking, the Spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you all things. Jesus said that he's another comforter, one that would walk alongside of us, one that would be with us, and yea, even inside of us. We believe in the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. Jesus possesses the fullness of the Holy Spirit and can allow that to be our experience as well as we surrender to Him. But the Spirit of God specifically works through the Word of God. And that's what Jesus was saying in John 16, verse 13 and 14. Listen, I'm going to send Him and He is going to come into your life. He's going to dwell with you as a comforter, but He's going to take the Word of God and He's going to open it up to you. He's going to guide you into all truth. He's going to help you to understand the Word of God, to, to practice the Word of God. He's going to help you. In verse 14, He shall glorify me. Who's He speaking of? He's going to glorify Jesus Christ in your life. What's He going to do? He's going to lift up Jesus Christ, he's going to magnify Jesus Christ through his word in your life and in your understanding. He's going to illuminate. He's going to bring Jesus Christ to mind in your life. He's going to glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and he shall show it unto you. I need that work of the Holy Spirit in my life. I need that tomorrow as I open up the word of God. I need God to take the word of God. I need Jesus Christ to take the word of God and just Break it open into my heart, but understand the Spirit of God that which Jesus Christ possesses and is able to impart unto us, the Spirit of God works through the Word of God. And notice what he also says he possesses. He does not just possess the seven spirits of God, but the seven stars. 
the seven stars. As we correlate with what we've learned in chapter number one, we understand that the seven stars were the messengers or the pastors to the churches. Jesus has full control over these pastors. Now that's an awesome thought. Uh, he has authority in, the, in their lives. He has authority over where they are. He has authority over what they say. In fact, he says that they are to preach the word. They're not to get off in their own opinions. They are to preach the word. He puts them and binds them to this as their content, their message to the church. He says, I possess the seven stars, the seven messengers, uh, message bearers to the church. Jesus is to have and does have authority he has he calls them to account i remind uh myself and us of hebrews 13 and verse number 17 obey them which have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls and now notice as they that must give account as they that must give account oftentimes we look at that and we say well listen uh we need to obey them that have the rule over you follow the on the faith of the pastor as as god has set that in the church because they're going to give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief and make sure that they are able to do it and speak of you with uh, with joy in their hearts and joy before god but also i want us to really hone in on this and specifically um, for me as i think about this god's going to on call pastors these stars into account he is going to hold them responsible. He's going to hold me responsible. Jesus has authority and he possesses them. He says in, the, in, 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 in uh, Revelation 2 and verse number 1 that he has the seven stars in his right hand. Here he says he has them. He possesses them. He controls them. He places them. And I, I would understand, I would have to surmise that the, the pastor there at the church of Sardis had let things slip and had let things become dead and lifeless and not challenge the people and not call them out of apathy. And, and I have a, a mind here tonight that, that Jesus is opening up this letter that was written to this church and to this pastor and saying, listen, I have authority. I have control. Uh, don't forget who you work for. That's an awesome thought. Now, Ultimately, what's going on here is there was a failure on the pastor in, in the church of, of Sardis to fulfill his Christ-given function. God had placed him there. If we remember over to 1 Timothy chapter number 1 and verse number 12, Paul tells us that he thanked God who counted him faithful, putting him into the ministry. Jesus had placed this pastor, we don't know his name, Jesus had placed this pastor in that location to be a message bearer to a group of believers. Here's thus saith the Lord, here's what the Lord wants from us, here's what our mission is to be, here's what God is expecting of us. Now let's follow through, church, let's follow Jesus Christ. That was his job. Ultimately, there was a failure on his part in performing that function. What is the function? Turn over to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 11 tonight. Ephesians chapter number 4, verse number 11. And let's remind ourselves of the specific function that this pastor in Sardis was to have, that, that this is the function of pastors within a body. The Bible says in Ephesians 4 and verse number 11, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists. Now, I hope you caught this this morning. Uh, we don't have apostles today, correct? Are you with me on that? 
right? And uh, there are churches that would believe that, but an apostle needed to be a witness of, of the life of Christ, specifically of the resurrection of Christ. I think you find that in the book of Acts, the first chapter, when they were selecting uh, a, a, uh, an apostle to fill uh, Judas's place. And so uh, we don't have apostles anymore. That, that timed out. Um, but he did gift to the church the apostles, which were the foundation of the church, the Bible says in Ephesians. He gave some apostles, they were needed, and some prophets, and some evangelists. Now, we have, we have thought oftentimes that an evangelist is simply an itinerant preacher, and sometimes a pastor will retire and go into itinerant speaking, and he'll get called an evangelist. Brother, uh, Brother Sam Davison was here uh, a, a couple weeks back, and he is a retired pastor that preaches around. And I noticed he didn't come here, and we did not announce him as an evangelist. Why? He's just a preacher, Right? He was a pastor who's, who's retired from a full-time pastoral work, but is preaching and being a blessing to multiple churches because God has given him that influence. So an evangelist is not just an itinerant preacher. An evangelist really is someone whose focus is gospel ministry. And in reality, much of what we see in mission work is the work of an evangelist. Much of what we see in the, in the ministry of, of church planning is the work of an evangelist. Now, a pastor is to do the work of the evangelist. We're all called to evangelize, but the specific, the specific goal, the specific calling of an evangelist gifting to the church is one who is focused on the gospel. And uh, their, their job is to encourage and strengthen the church in the matter of the gospel and to blaze that trail. But he has also given, as a gift to the church, pastors and teachers for what purpose what is the duty why did jesus give those gifts to the church notice for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry now i want to draw a a, a a parallel here in verse number two and just keep this in your mind jesus said when he looked at their works that he had not found their works what perfect before god what was the pastor to be doing helping this church uh, be perfected for the work of the ministry. Now, these are two different original words, and I, 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 but I, it's a, kind of the same concept that is going on here. God intended for the pastor there at Sardis to be perfecting the, ch on the, the church, perfecting the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying, the building up of the body of Christ. Now, let's go a little bit further. In verse number 15, if you'll look down in that same passage, what is he to do? And what is a church to do with one another? Speak the truth in love. So what, what is it that will help perfect a church for the work of the ministry? What is it that will help you be perfected or matured or completed for the work of the ministry? It's the word of God, friends. It's the word of God. The message that is being presented. Let's turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 16. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 16. These message bearers, message bearers that Jesus Christ possesses had a specific function in the church. They were to help perfect it. That wasn't happening in the church of Sardis. 2 Timothy 3 and verse number 16. All scripture, if you say it, if you know it, say it with me. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God, or the woman of God, may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto... Okay, again we come across this word perfect. Matured, completed, strengthened. 
brought to fullness. That's the idea, friends. And here's what is to be happening in the church with the Word of God. The Word of God is to be allowed into our lives so that it might perfect us. But the very next chapter in 2 Timothy, Paul's saying to Timothy, now listen, based on that, this is the answer to spiritual maturity. This is the key to spiritual maturity in a church body. The very next thing that is is stated to Timothy as a pastor there in Ephesus was this, I charge thee therefore before God in the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick, the living, and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. So the correlation I'm trying to just make here, Jesus says, listen, I have the seven spirits of God. I have the ability to give the fullness of the spirit and impart this and allow you to enjoy this in your life as you surrender and say yes to the Holy Spirit, don't grieve him and don't quench him. But I also possess the message bearers who I've placed there, and I will hold that message bearer accountable for the delivering of my message to the church that will call the church out of deadness, that will call the church out of lethargy. And so through the seven stars, Christ intended to deliver his life-giving, life-changing word in the fullness of the Spirit of Christ. In fact, Paul says it this way in Philippians 2 and verse number 16, holding forth the word of life, the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. It was the word that would give life to this church. It was the word that was needed. The answer to deadness in any congregation is the Word of God. It is the preaching of the Word of God, and it's the receiving of the Word of God. It's the uh, the gathering around the Word of God. It's the teaching of the Word of God. It's a wholehearted yes as a congregation. We want that. We receive it. We will obey it no matter what the world around us is doing. And friends, it is crazy to see how much there is going against the Word of God. I, again, I, I referenced this this morning. I was in the same church that I mentioned about the missions this morning, and I, I watched as a group of the elders, it was a, a Saturday morning, as a group of elders gathered around and watched a false teacher who is very well known down, down south and watched them on video and probably were in there discussing that. I just stopped and thought, this saddens me so much. Here's a church where the people are gathering around, rather than opening up the Word of God, they're, they're following some leadership guru that has a, the name of pastor and following this right into spiritual deadness. Boy, it grieved my heart. It grieved my heart. This is the answer to spiritual deadness. This is what brings life. This is what will supercharge you, and not in a, in a casual way, but it will totally revolutionize your spiritual life. This is it. This is what we need. This doesn't go out of style. Boy, do we ever need it in this day. Jesus revealed himself as the possessor of the things the church needed. The fullness of the Spirit. The Word of God. And listen, as I even say that, I I sense here in this passage that there was a pastor who really dropped the ball there in Sardis. And even as I say that, do you know, I think think it ought to be, and I don't think it's wrong of me to ask, uh, you to, to daily strive together in prayer. You know, pastors can become apathetic, and pastors can become, um, they can have the fear of man just like anyone else. Things are changing. The winds are blowing. And you know, sometimes you can feel like on an island, like, uh, uh, 
who else gets this, that, that this is supposed to be our marching orders? You know what I'm talking about? And I think it's, it's wise for us to say, you know what? We don't have a heart to be a dead church. So we're going to pray that the Lord would help our pastor to, to, to challenge us and to, and to give us and deliver the word of God as he ought to and so that he might give an, a, an account before God with joy and not with grief. I'd appreciate your prayers. I need them. But I want us to realize, ultimately, this is Jesus presenting himself. I have the fullness of the Spirit. I have the message bearers. Everything the church needed, Jesus has. And do you believe that tonight? Everything that Grace Baptist Church needs, Jesus has. And we'll just keep our eyes on Jesus. I, I mentioned in a video this week, and this really was getting, uh, getting my attention this week. Hebrews chapter, 11 and ver, uh, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 1 tells us that there's a great cloud of witnesses who have gone on before us. We're supposed to lay aside every weight and sin that does so easily beset us, and we are to run our race with patience, with endurance. And the very next thing that Jesus tells us is looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. How many times do you and I not run our race with endurance? We faint in the race. We faint in the battles because we don't have our eyes on Jesus. You look at what's going on. You look at the bills that are being passed. You look at the, the people who are finding courage to speak evil because they feel like they have the ability now. They have the open way to. The, 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 the path is open now to do it. And you, you become faint in the way as you look at some of this. Do you not? Like, I do, I, do I, I hear some of this, and it's like, what, what evil's going to come out next? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. The only way that this is going to happen is if we keep, as a church body, keep our eyes on Jesus. And so Jesus had everything. He possessed everything that the church at Sardis needed. But notice, when he gets to verse number one, the end, he, he doesn't waste any time here. He gets right to it and begins to tell them about it and their works. And he expresses the reality of this church. The real condition of this church. And notice, I know thy works, that thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. Now, he's not saying you have a name on a sign in front of your church. That's not what he's saying. He's saying you have a reputation that you live. You're known around in town. Oh, there's, there's a church that exists. There's a church that meets together. There's some Christians that meet together there. You have a name. You have a reputation that you live. That you're alive, you're still meeting, you're still assembling, you're still going through the motions, but in my view, you're dead. That is awful. That is, that's horrifying. Because that means that there could be a church like ours that could be going through all the motions, but in Christ's view, it's just dead. It's lifeless. It's like going to grandma's house when she's not there. God help us. You know what? I, I highly doubt that Sardis knew they were in that condition. I, I highly doubt that they gathered together as, as a church and said, you know what? I think we're, we've, we've passed that, that, that point and we're now dead. Um, some of you deacons might remember when back in 2015, um, one of the first things that we did together is we read a book entitled The Autopsy of a Deceased Church. Now, doesn't that sound like a fun title? 
If you've never read it, it would challenge you. I don't agree on everything with the author, but, uh, but, but nonetheless, I, I will say it was a, it was a, a powerful church. And we, we took time, even then, to look at what causes churches to die. What causes churches to die? Ultimately, it's a rejection of the need of the fullness of the Holy Spirit and the reception of the Word of God. It's a, I don't need to listen to the Spirit of God, I don't need to surrender to Him, and I don't need the Word of God. Mm. Ultimately. You can get down to some practical things. But that book was a challenge to us as, as deacons to, to think, Lord, we don't want this to happen here. We need you to, to help revive us and strengthen us. And uh, what, a, what, a, uh, what an important thing to focus on. So they had a, a reputation. They had a Christian name. But they did not live out the life of Christ. It's different to call yourself a Christian. Uh, and it's another thing to, to actually be living out the life of Christ, the life that he intended us to live out in our daily lives. They had a form of godliness, but they denied the power thereof. They, they, they had the the form of it they had the shell of it but there was nothing inside they did not have the life-giving power of the holy spirit thriving through them and and pulsing through them you know what this is this is something that our world can notice very very quickly they can tell when we are allowing the holy spirit to have free reign in our lives you know other believers who are out there in town that you meet do you know they can tell in an instant whether or not the Holy Spirit of God is being allowed to, to have full, uh, full authority in your life? They can tell that. And here's the, here's the matter, and maybe you wonder about that. I, 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 give, you an, I give you an illustration. We're walking through, uh, walking through, a, um, walking through a, a, a store here in town, Dollar Tree, and we were doing some shopping. I had my kids with me, and, uh, and I just mentioned something to one of the ladies that was sitting there on a, on a, a walker wheelchair type thing, and she was just sitting there, and uh, we started talking. We ended up, started talking about God. And uh, she had her kids there, and they were responding, and I'm telling you, she goes, we're just going to have church right here. Well, evidently, she had just come back from a, a, a doctor's appointment, and uh, she has some significant heart issues. And we got we got talking, and she came back around, and she goes, I just had to stop in the next aisle because I sensed the Holy Spirit of God. I just had to stop and say, thank you, it'll all be okay. You know, people can tell. Now, I'll, I'll tell you, I've, I've been in stores far too often where I wasn't allowing the Holy Spirit, like I was grumpy, didn't have the joy of the Lord, you know what I'm talking about, far too often, and where, where someone couldn't tell the Holy Spirit, you know, authority in my life. You, you know what I'm saying? You've been there with me, Right? Right? So, but they can tell. People can tell. And the fact is, in Sardis, they had a name. We are Sardis Church, or whatever they, they, they called it. We're, here we are, but they, they had a reputation that they were alive, but they were actually dead. With men, they were alive. On Instagram, they were alive. You know, we have a, a, a sense where we can, we can make we can make anything look alive today. We can Photoshop it. You understand what I'm saying? We can make, we live in the day where we can make things appear great. We can have something that looks alive but really is dead. 
We are not concerned with whether we look alive to man as much as we are concerned, are we alive to God? With God, they were dead. One uh, author put it this way, it had a reputation as a Christian assembly, but for the most part, it simply went through the formal, dull routine. It did not overflow with spiritual life. It did not have the sparkle of the supernatural. Listen, their ministry was humanly explainable. It, 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 It wasn't energized and empowered by God. And so the message to Sardis is a, a warning to all great churches, if you will, that living on past glory doesn't work. You can't live on the, 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 the successes of the past. Listen, Paul said, I, I choose to forget those things which are behind, both the successes and the losses. I don't live my life in the rearview mirror. How many times does a church or a group of believers live their lives in the rearview mirror? Well, it used to be that I was alive. It used to be that I walked with God. It used to be that I, I said yes to the Holy Spirit. It used to be that I received his word. It used to be that I responded to it. It doesn't work. And Sardis is an illustration to, to us tonight, a sober reality that it does not work to live on past successes. Trying to serve God today on the fumes of the past doesn't work. I need a fresh dose. I need a fresh anointing. I need a, the fresh fullness of the Holy Spirit right now to live out my life. Vance Havner, a, a great pastor of years gone by, he said that spiritual ministries often go through four different stages. A man, a movement, a machine, and then a monument. A monument. Erected to what used to be. And Sardis was there. What used to be. It's still standing, but it's empty. It's grandma's house, but she's not there. They were lifeless. That was Jesus' perspective. But he goes on in verse number two and notes to them that they were unsatisfactory in their service, in their works. He tells them and gives them a command, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. And I read that and I think, boy, this is an awful, awful letter. I mean, this is really rough to read. And he says, here's the reason why I say that, because I have not found thy works perfect before God. Now, the definition of this this word perfect is the idea of not satisfactory. It doesn't come up to God's standard. It it doesn't meet his, his expectation. It doesn't rise to what he left them there to do. And so these works, these duties, specifically that's what it means, these duties, their reasonable service was unsatisfactory. That what, what God expected of them, what they, they were obligated to render back to God in service was not acceptable to them. The same word works is used over in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work, in your duties before God. That's what they were to be doing. But these were not perfect. I remember back in college having Dr. David Cummins as my, uh, as my Baptist uh, history professor. And uh, he, was, he was quite a man. Uh, he had a voice that was, was just deep. And when he would say, it was just, just a really deep voice. Very eloquent, uh, statesman type of individual. Did any of you ever meet Dr. Cummins? Okay, 
what, what a blessing. You know what I'm talking about. And he was, these words ring in my ears. Truth is eternal. He would always say that. And we'd start every class period with a song, and it was, it was good days. I think it was the last time that he taught. Uh, and, and what a blessing. I still have that, that notebook and go back to it from time to time. What a blessing of a class. But I remember in that class receiving a, uh, an assignment to write a research paper on a select number of, uh, of, of subjects. And I chose the downgrade controversy that happened under the ministry of, of uh, C.H. Spurgeon. And, um, you know, at that time, I either couldn't find the resources that, that, that really helped me understand, but I, I went into that research paper with just an amazing amount of cluelessness on, on what this was all about, and I didn't have a lot of, I mean, the, the, the different subjects that we were allowed to write on uh, weren't, weren't uh, real easy, so it, you really had to dig in. Well, I, 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 I tried, but I don't think I did my my very best, and I certainly didn't find the resources that I need. I'll never forget getting that back. I knew when I, I turned that paper in, I knew that it was, I mean, I couldn't pull something over on Dr. Cummins, right? It wasn't going to happen, but I, I knew that it would probably not uh, warrant a really great grade. But when it came back, the comments that were left on that, and I, I wish I could find that paper, the comments that were left at the top of that, it wasn't just the grade that he gave, but the comments that were left there led me to believe that he found that thing extremely unsatisfactory. And frankly, I was a bit ashamed. Like, I mean, it, it, was, it was something that I could have done better on. But I, I'll remember that. I received that back, and I remember there was some comments on, on the top. There was something like, there was not enough research done here, or something like that. Um, but unsatisfactory. I cannot imagine what it must be like to receive from Jesus Christ on our works, our duties that he has given to us, that he's that we're obligated to do for him on our witness, on our growth in Christ's likeness, on our service and love to one another. I cannot imagine him writing at the top unsatisfactory. But that's what's happened here. Your duties, the performance of your duties is unsatisfactory to Jesus. What a sobering, sobering thing. And notice how he says it before God. Now, you and I can have satisfactory works before our fellow believers and have unsatisfactory bef uh, works before God. I want us to think about that. Their activity was humanly acceptable. They were meeting together. They were going through all the formalities. There wasn't, there wasn't a whole lot of disturbance in the group. They were meeting together. They were doing their formalistic thing. But the fact of the matter was that any carnality or half-heartedness in their service or apathy or rit ritualism, all these things were going unchecked by the rest of the, the congregation. As they met together, these things were happening. But in the sight of God, he said, it's unsatisfactory. And I want us to think about this and, and really give ourselves a little bit of warning. Do you realize that if I'm apathetic in my service to God, another person that, that is apathetic in their service to God is not going to say, hey, listen, Kagan, you're apathetic. They're going to feel good that someone else is apathetic. And how important it is for you and I to remember that our service is before God, not before one another. 
And we rate sometimes, you know, we had a good time and, and, and this person said that, that it went well. But how does God say it went? You know, we leave the church building and we say, I served God today and, and it went well. But what does God think about it? What is God's perspective on it? Is it satisfactory to God? Is your teaching your class satisfactory to God? Is your singing in the congregation satisfactory to God? Is your giving satisfactory to God? Is your relating to one another in love satisfactory to God? Is your bearing one another's burdens satisfactory to God? Is your prayer for one another satisfactory to God? And the fact of the matter is, we all have an obligation or duty or it's necessary that we pause and say, am I satisfying God in my duties that he has given me to do? Don't look at what other people say. And, And frankly, don't look at what I, as a pastor, say, understand that you and I serve the living God, the Son of God, and I must be satisfactory to him. And so what does Jesus say? Wake up! That's how he starts verse number two. Be watchful. Strengthen the things that remain and that are ready to die. Why? Because when I look at all that's going on in the church, your your gatherings, your assemblies, your service to me, your performing of duties that I've given you to perform, I don't find them satisfactory. So wake up! Wake up. Wake up and tend to the work, to the duties God has given. Wake up and put heart behind them. Wake up and allow the fullness of the Spirit to energize you as you step into that duty. Do you pray before you step into your duty? Do you pray before you go out into the week and ask the Lord, I I need the fullness of the Spirit? Do you you pause and do exactly what we did this morning? It wasn't planned. It was just, we were praying together and it just seemed like, well, Lord, we need you, don't we? And we sang that together this morning as a prayer. Is, is, that, is that you as you go into your Monday? Well, I got this. I know how to do my job. Listen, friends. All of us need the Holy Spirit to do our job. What happens if we walked into our jobs tomorrow morning understanding the need for the fullness of the Holy Spirit? How would that change the way that we interact? How would that change the brightness of our lights? And so it was important that they would wake up and they would tend to the duties God has given them. Yes, your duties are not just inside this building. Your duties extend to the body of Christ going out in every place in the community throughout this week. What is my duty toward the lost? To witness to them. What is my duty toward fellow brothers and sisters in Christ that I meet along the way? To encourage them and and love them and uplift them and edify them and help them along. And and what is my duty to my family? Husbands, love your wives. Wives, reverence your husbands. Children, obey your um, parents in the Lord for this is right. Servants, obey your masters. Follow the instructions of your employer. The duties that God has given us Christ possessed all that Sardis would need to be all that Christ wanted them to be. And this is what he found wanting in their life. And so how does he challenge them? What is the choice? He says, this is, what, this is the choice. Here's, here's, the, here's the fork in the road, Sardis. Here's what I need you to do. Here's what I need you to understand. And notice the challenge to the church, verse 3 through 6. He says this, begin responding again to my word. Verse number three, let's read it together, all all out loud and with good voice. Verse number three, remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. Let's stop there. Remember. Very interesting word remember here is to remember and respond. Not just recall the memory. Sometimes we're good at recalling the memory, but this word has the idea of remembering and responding. 
going back to the point we got off the wagon. Going back to the point we stopped saying yes to the Holy Spirit of God. Go back to the point where we started grieving the Holy Spirit of God and get that right and then begin moving on. He says, remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard. What was the word that you received from me? What was the word that you heard the preacher say? What is the word that you heard me say? Remember it and respond. Respond to the word. And then he gives us this statement, this command, hold fast. Well, it seems kind of interesting. They're, they're not doing the right thing, so why would they hold fast? You know what he's saying? This is the exact word that we find over in Matthew 28, verse 19. And teach them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. It's translated here as hold fast. So what is Jesus saying? I want you to remember, go back and respond to the word you've heard, and I want you to start practicing it. I want you to start making it, making your life to conform to what I've told you to do. I want you to go back to the point you got off and stop listening to me, and I want you to go and conform your practice to my word. This would only happen as they would repent. That's a good Bible word. We've gotten away from that, haven't we? We've gotten far away from it. People get scared of that word. You know what it means for a lost person to repent? Change their mind. They think that they're good enough. And they no longer think they're good enough. It's not about turning over the, the leaf. The, the Catholic doctrine is repent is turning over a new leaf. Well, let's just try again. Let, that one it didn't go so well, so let's try again. Go to confession, we'll try again. No, no, no. The biblical understanding of repent is to change your mind, and that results in a change of direction and action. It starts in the mind, and it results in the walk. And so Jesus says, hey, if this is going to change, if you're going to go back and remember and respond to the word you've heard and begin observing it and practicing it and conforming your life to it, it's going to require you repent. You've gone the wrong way. Lord, for the last month, the last year, whatever it is, I've not been responding to your word. I've left it alone. I've, I've, I've disobeyed you. I've grieved your Holy Spirit. And I now see that. And I know that this grieves you and it's wrong. It's brought deadness into my soul and it's brought distance in between me and you and our relationship. And I repent. This is wrong. I can no longer walk in this way, Lord. This is wrong. I'm sorry I did this to you as, as my Savior, the one who gave your life for me. I'm sorry I did this. I repent. I want my life to be different. Repentance is not saying that you know, you'll, never, you'll never mess up again, that you'll never do wrong again. Repentance is simply admitting, I, I was wrong, and now I'm, I'm changing my direction. I'm changing my mind, my direction. I'm going in the right way. And so they were to repent. Spiritual deadness creeps in whenever we fail to respond to the Word of God. Now, I don't know if you caught it, I caught it, but I think that one of the messages that God was giving to us in our revival meetings was challenging us about our, our response to the Word of God. Did you catch that? There was a time or two that he, he, he got on that. The word, the word dealt with us in that matter. I, uh, J. 
Just because the world around us is changing doesn't mean we need to change too. Just because churches are changing the way they go about things doesn't mean we need to change too. There is an awesomeness to our God. Why do we, why do we bow before the Lord this morning? You know, we're not really comfortable doing this anymore. You know what I'm talking about? And I feel, church, like we've gotten to the point where we are comfortable with, with hearing a message and we're, we're good Christians. We're, we're, we're sitting in a room. We're, we're hearing a message. We're giving devotion and attention to the word of God. But whatever happened to the, to the response that, that I, don't, I, don't, I don't care about time. I'm just, I, I want to just take some time to talk to God about that. Where did that go? Do you remember that, you that are older here, do you remember days where that was more of a norm? Now, people question invitations and all, all that stuff. I, I want to be one that gives, I want to I have an opportunity at the end of a message to respond. I want that. Personally, I need that. Sometimes as a, as, as a pastor, sometimes I, I just, I don't know what even to do. I, I, I don't know what God is doing in hearts, and I don't see a response. Now, sometimes I'll hear back, oh, you know, pastor, that, that helped me, and maybe even a long time afterwards. But I guess what I'm, I'm getting at is more of a heart thing, not so much an outward, outward show. Jesus is saying, you guys need to go back and be responding to this. When's the time for response? What would happen, I, I wonder, your family, you imagine children, what would happen if you're, you're speaking to your child, maybe for that you have to go back several years, okay? It's fresh for me. And they don't say a thing, and they don't stop what they're doing. There's no indication. There's no visible, verbal signal that there has been some submission of the heart. What, is, what do you surmise at that point? They've not heard. It hasn't hit home. Uh, one thing my dad always used to, to do, he was a Marine. So yes sir, no sir was important to him. And you, you'll hear me, I, I, I deal with my kids on that. I, I, I don't see any problem with it. I don't think it's bad, maybe you disagree, but I, I think I like, I like to be able to hear that they've responded. Um, but it was also a question that got, would get asked. Do you understand me? Do you understand me? Have I been clear? And friends, tonight, let me ask you a question. Honestly, before God, are you in the practice of responding to his word in the moment. Because I think the way that Sardis got to where they got is they, they stopped responding to the word. You say, well, I can respond later. Friends, honestly, I have a vision for and, and a desire 
that we get to the we would get to the point of of being so real with God and His Word. I don't care whether it's a Sunday morning, a Sunday night, or a Wednesday night. But if 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 the Lord has spoken to our hearts, that there would there would be an immediate response. That it's not all right. Now we're going to have a piano play and we're going to do this. That there would just simply be you know I need to talk to God about that. And I don't care who's around, but I'm going to just take time right now and talk to God about that. This is an outward show. Is an outward show. It can be. It can be. But this isn't about an outward show. I, we're talking about a heart level response. Yes to God. And honestly, I, I don't know hearts. I don't know hearts where we are. But honestly, I think church. I think if we're not careful, we can. We could be on a path to being content with hearing messages and walking right out the door. And not taking time with God about it. And not saying yes to God. And if that's where you find yourself tonight, could I urge you to hear what Jesus is saying, remember and respond. Get back to that point. When was the last time that, that you felt like God spoke to you in a message and you, you, you at that moment dealt with it? I'm sure, I'm sure you... I'm sure you have, have that. I, I, I hope you do. But uh, friends, I, I'm, just, I'm asking us as a church to be very, very mindful right now of this because I look into the church of Sardis, which is letters to two churches like ours, and I, I know you don't want to be a dead church. You don't want to be a lifeless church. But the path to a, a dead church is a church that doesn't, has gotten comfortable with not responding. And I'm not looking in there. There's nothing in the Greek that says, uh, uh, come forward, kneel at the altar invitation. There is a heart-level response to this. Whether it's imputed, there is a response. Don't you think that, 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 that if, if <laughs> we expect people, if, if we're asking them to come to the Lord Jesus Christ, we want, we want to talk with them. We want them to respond. Yes, I have this need. But where is that among us as believers? Yes, I have this need. Jesus just trampled all over me in a, he, in a, in a loving way, and he showed me I, you have this deficiency that needs to be corrected, and we have this need, and there's a response to it. So could I encourage us tonight as we consider the church of Sardis, they, they got to a point where they stopped responding to the word, and so Jesus says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to respond. I want you to wake up. Spiritual deadness always creeps in. When we fail to respond to the word, we have received and heard. He says, awake. Awake, watch. Look at it. He says, wake up. The Bible says in Romans 13, verse 11, he says, and that knowing the time, and now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than, we, uh, than when we believed. The fact is, Jesus Christ is coming again soon. I meet this lady at the Panera in Fairfield, and every time she sees me, she says, it has to be close. It has to be close. She goes over to Bible Baptist of Xenia, and it has to be close, and she's just, just wide-eyed. Like, I think it's going to be April. It has to be close. I've never seen anyone that has as much expectation for the coming of the Lord as this lady. And I don't know her that well. She just... We connected. I was witnessing to the, the lady, the cashier, and she saw me witnessing. We connected, and, and, and that's, 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 that's what I know of her, and, that, and she knows that I'm a believer, and so she's, she's talking about it. it has to be close. Hey, it is close. And Jesus says, wake up. Wake up. 
Corinthians 15 and verse number 34, Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. As one man put it, and speaking of the church of Sardis, kind of the impression that we get is in the assembly at Sardis, they were not aggressive in their witness to the city. Now follow this. There was no persecution that is noted because there was no invasion of the enemy's territory. There was no friction, which usually means there's no motion. The unsaved in Sardis saw the church as a respectable group of people who neither were dangerous nor desirable. They were decent people with a dying witness and a decaying ministry. The lost around them were unfazed. Why? Because they had forgotten they need the fullness of the Holy Spirit and they forgot to, st- uh, to continue to respond to the Word of God. And friends, we could be there. And I'm not just trying, you, you might come on, on Sunday nights, I really, really appreciate you coming and being here to hear this from the Lord Jesus Christ. I trust that I'm being faithful and rightfully dividing the word of truth, but I don't see any other way to describe what is going on here in the church of Sardis from the, from, from the mouth of the Lord Jesus. This church was accomplishing nothing for the Lord Jesus Christ in that city. Their witness was gone. Those who are asleep, who Jesus is saying need to wake up, are inactive and oblivious to the needs in their own life and to the needs around them. My wife thinks it's funny that I snore. And uh, I don't snore bad. I don't need need to breathe right nasal strips, but uh, she thought it was funny she would video the snoring. And, uh, and, and the reality is, I was perfectly contented. I see you're getting a kick out of this. I was perfectly contented. I didn't know she was doing this. I was oblivious to everything that was going around. I was oblivious to the need to show proper decorum, you know, you know and not snore. You know, we, I was oblivious, right? The, the fact is, sleeping people are oblivious. <laughs> I, used to, I used to travel uh, and, and do some ministry trips uh, with, a, uh, with a pastor who snored like a freight train. And it was loud, but he was oblivious. Everyone else wasn't oblivious around him, but he was oblivious to it, right? The fact of the matter is sleeping people are oblivious to the needs in their own life and the needs of people around them. You know, and that can characterize a church, and that's exactly Sardis. They were oblivious. They lived in a city that worshipped nature, thought you would die and come back as something else. They lived in a city full of paganism, but nowhere in this letter do we find that the city was upset with them. They weren't stirring Satan in that city. They weren't challenging Satan in that city. They were dead and lifeless. There was nothing but a formalistic shell of a, of a meeting in an assembly. It was called the Church of Sardis. They were comfortable, and I just ask us to to allow God to determine if that's me or if that's you. If I'm not willing to say, Lord, I need you to alert me if I've gotten to that point, then something's wrong. They were to be responding to the word, get back to this, begin responding again. It wouldn't be easy, but overcoming was possible. Notice they were to begin overcoming in their walk. There were people in Sardis, verse number four, that were spiritually alive. Even in the deadest, coldest, most lifeless churches, 
There can be an ember. There can be a person that is alive. By the way, just because some other brother and sister in Christ is alive, don't, don't, don't excuse deadness in your life because someone else is alive. Don't excuse deadness in your life because you, you are in a church that is alive. Don't excuse it in your life. You need to, before God, is there a deadness that has creeped into your soul because you're not responding to the word? There were some in Sardis. Notice, there's a few names, not a lot. There's a few names in Sardis which have not defiled the garments. They haven't, they haven't walked away from, they haven't grieved the Holy Spirit. They've been responding to my word. And they're going to walk with me in white, in purity. Listen, we believe in individual soul liberty tonight. You have the ability to be as close to God as you want to be. And it doesn't matter who is doing what around you, you can walk in white with the, with the Son of God. You can walk in purity before him. That's exactly what he wants to do in our lives. Ephesians chapter number 5. For they are worthy, which really strikes me when Jesus says uh, something of me or of you, uh, that, that in any way we can be worthy. It's amazing. But that's what he says of these people. Revelation 3 and verse number 5, he that overcometh. This word overcoming is to have victory, but victory not just in an instance, but as a lifestyle. God wants us to be walking in victory. He wants us to be overcomers. They, these overcomers, he said, would be able to rejoice. Those that started listening to the Holy Spirit, not grieving them. Those that started responding to the word and saying yes to the word of God. These overcomers could rejoice in their salvation. They could find joy in this. He says they would be clothed in white raiment. This is something that they could, they could know the fullness of it. They could be enjoying the experience of, uh, of it. There are believers who, who, who you say, you know what? You are robed in, in righteousness. You're robed in Christ's righteousness. And they say, oh yeah? Tell me something exciting. That's where these people were. What about what, about what I'm going to, that pay raise? Now, they weren't excited about being robed in righteousness, but the overcomers, those that are walking with the Lord, nothing excites their heart more than the fact to know that their sinfulness, their wretchedness has been robed in robes of righteousness, that he's imputed his righteousness to our account, that there is now and therefore no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. He says, listen, I want you to know that you will enjoy that, you will experience that, you will walk in the understanding of that. And, and it's really interesting that Sardis was known for uh, being a manufacturer of woolen garments and Jesus again ties this into their culture and their understanding. Listen, you're going to be able to enjoy the fullness of that experience with me. Those that are close to Christ, the things of Christ are incredibly energizing to them. And then he says, I will not blot out his name in the book of life. You might look at that and say, whoa, what in the world? Can someone lose their salvation? It seems that when an unbeliever dies, their name is removed from the book. Look at Revelation 20 and verse number 15. Revelation 20 and verse number 15. We look at the final judgment. At the final judgment, only the names of believers are in the book. According to this, this passage, Revelation 20 and verse number 15, on 12. And I saw the dead 
and small and great stand before God and the books were open and another book was opened which is the book of life and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works and the sea gave up the dead which were in them and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them and they were judged uh, every man according to their works and death and hell were cast in the lake of fire this is the second death and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. We know from John 10 that our, our uh, salvation is secure in the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful for the security of our salvation? But he says here that those that have not, have not believed, have not, uh, have not trusted him, they, their names are not in that book. Revelation 21 and verse number 27, And there shall uh, in no wise enter into it anything that defileth neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Is your name there tonight? Does that excite you tonight? And friends, tonight, he said, those that are overcomers, I will not blot their name out of the book of life. They can rest and, and, and enjoy the joy, and, and enjoy the experience of their salvation, know the security of salvation that I've given them. You know what? People that walk in sin, a believer that is walking carnally and away from God, you know one of the things that often happens in their life? They doubt their salvation. They struggle. You know what Jesus is saying here? Listen, you'll be saved and you'll know it. You walk in victory, you walk with me, you, re, um, you allow the fullness of the Holy Spirit to dominate your life, you allow the Word of God to be, um, be uh, of the authority in your life, you will be saved and you'll know, you'll know the joy of your salvation. What did David say? Oh God, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. You have the joy of your salvation tonight? You're an overcomer walking in victory before the Lord. Are you responding to his word? Are you obeying the Holy Spirit? Then you can know. You can know. My name is in the book of life. It's there and I'm happy about it and I'm enjoying that. That's the most important thing in all the world to me. But notice what he says. Overcomers will be acknowledged in heaven, not just know the joy of their salvation, know the security of their salvation, but they'll also be acknowledged in heaven. I will confess his name before my father and before the angels. Hey, this is my child. And I'm not ashamed of him because he's not ashamed of me. Look over at Mark chapter 8 and verse number 34. Jesus told those that would follow after him, those disciples, whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Whosoever shall save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. We're talking about sacrifice here that we're talking about if Christ is going to use you and you're going to be a part of this promise that he's going to build the church, it's going to require, yes, Lord, whatever you want, I'm going to sacrifice for you. And he says in verse 37, or what shall man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. Stop right there. There are a lot of believers right now that have gotten on the cancel culture chain, the bandwagon. They want to go right along with it because this is shameful to them and they don't want to be ashamed in front of a, in front of a culture. But just understand, the moment, that we, the moment that we jump on with the culture and begin excusing them, pushing aside the word of God to be embraced by the culture, to win favor with the culture, we have just become a shame of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Oh, that God would protect us from shaming our, our Christ. And oh, that God would protect us from getting on their bandwagon rather than the Lord's and standing with them. Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in his glory of his Father and with his holy angels. You know what? If we overcome, we don't have to fear that. Jesus is not saying he's taking our salvation, but he's saying, listen, those that are ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of them. You know, fathers, when they say something like, I'm disappointed in you, that's a difficult thing for a child, a sensitive child, one that really values the relationship between father and child. And they've done something, and they say, I am disappointed. But far more so when Jesus looks at us and says, I'm ashamed. Because you've sided with a wicked and adulterous generation that has is, that is pitted themselves against my word and despised my Holy Spirit and doesn't even understand the, the Holy Spirit. You pitted yourself uh, against me and you're standing with them. You have no business being over there. I'm ashamed. And he says, I'm going to be ashamed before my Father and the angels which are in heaven. Folks, we don't even want to, we don't want to go there. And so what's the answer? Listen. Let's read verse number 6 again out loud together. Revelation 3 and verse number 6. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Grace Baptist Church, do you have a hear? Do you have an ear? Is your spiritual ear open tonight? Hear what Jesus is saying to us at Grace Baptist Church. Don't allow deadness to creep in. What's the reputation that Jesus sees us having? That's all that really matters. The world soon enough will think we're crazy. The world soon enough will think we're peculiar. They'll think that, we are, that we're just not getting with it. We're strange. What does he think? Are we alive in his eyes? Are you alive tonight in his eyes? Is your Christianity become a, a show, a ritual, a, a formal routine? I, I go to church at this time. I go home at this time. I read my Bible. I check it off the list. And I, I pray at this time. I pray through these things. And I, I pray prayers. And they're just kind of the rote same prayer over and over and over again. And it's, it's just, it doesn't have any spiritual spark to it. Is that where your life is tonight? I think that's where Sardis was. They were spiritually full of deadness. And didn't know it. Jesus had to alert them. And I think it'd be really wise if you and I tonight just gave Jesus an opportunity to, to alert us. He has through his word. Oh, God. Rescue any believer in this room. Rescue us from allowing spiritual deadness. Would you stand with me in an attitude of prayer tonight? I'm praying and asking you to join me in prayer tonight in response to this.
trust the Holy Spirit of God has taken his word and has challenged your heart. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the Grace Baptist Church. And our Father, I pray that you'd be pleased in the response of our hearts to you. Pray that you would make us to be incredibly sensitive to what you see in us and what you understand our reputation to be. If your heart is touched tonight, could I encourage you to kneel there at your seat, bow before the Thank you for listening today. For more information about Grace Baptist Church, please visit our website at gracebaptistofkettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.